0: Well, it's good to be back after a nice time on vacation and a rousing conference annual meeting. Uh, I won't tell you which of the two I preferred. Um, but, uh, you know, in light, in light of some of the events of the last few days, some of you might be worrying did his sojourn up in Boston turn him back to being a Red Sox fan? <laughs> and I have to assure you, don't worry, I will be rooting for the Astros tonight. Um, but it's good to be back here. Uh, it's nice to be back in this pulpit. Um, I hope you're happy to see me back in the pulpit. I hope that after I'm done with the sermon, you're happy to see me in the pulpit. I take from my text this morning uh, the first verse of that third chapter in 1 Samuel. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. Please pray with me. Holy God... May you send your Holy Spirit in this place, and on each of us here gathered, words to come, we may hear your word. Now I'm going to take a bit of a guess here, but my guess is that some of you might not know the context for our passage, the background for our passage here in First Samuel chapter 3. Some of you I know know your Bibles very well, but others of you, those of you perhaps who were raised in the UCC or not a church at all, might not know your Bibles that well. And I don't want to assume anything, because as you get told, when you assume, you you know what I mean. It's not, it's not good. So when the Israelites crossed over the River Jordan after the Exodus, they were a series of 12 divided tribes who settled in the promised land. And as they settled there, they went through various cycles of success in doing well and then falling into various forms of collective sin. And this is where we have the rise during those sinful periods uh, of the so-called judges. People like Othniel and Ehud, you should read his story by the way, it's kind of a fascinating one. Uh, People like Gideon or Jephthah or Samson, Deborah, the great female judge, And during this time, there were sanctuaries, shrines, so-called high places scattered throughout Israel. And there was no shrine, there was no high place uh, that was more holy or more central to worship in Israel than the shrine at Shiloh. Shiloh was the place when the Israelites came over the river Jordan where they gathered together and made a covenant with one another. And Shiloh was the place that was the home for the Ark of the Covenant. That wooden box that held the original Ten Commandments. Those of you who watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark know exactly what it looks like. (laughs) And the Ark of the Covenant, of course, during the Exodus was kept in a tent uh, known as the Tabernacle, the Tent of Meeting. And as it settled in Shiloh over time, uh, there developed a permanent structure for the Ark and also an altar outside. And during the several hundred years that the ark was there at Shiloh, there was a succession of priests who then oversaw the worship at Shiloh. And as our story opens for this morning, the priest in charge is a man by the name of Eli. But Eli is quite old. He had long since passed on the daily running of the sanctuary to his sons, his sons Hophni and Phinehas, two great names, Hophni and Phinehas, Now, somewhere along the line, and we're not sure when, Hophni and Phinehas, they lost their way. Hophni and Phinehas, maybe, at at, at some level, they they lost a sense of the holy in what they were doing. Things they were doing became routine, and they looked around and they saw some other people in society uh, living the good life, and they thought to themselves, well, do you think we could get a slice of that good life for ourselves? So they concocted a plan, a scheme, when someone came to bring their offerings before the Lord, as prescribed in the Torah, they came to bring their offerings uh, to that sanctuary in Shiloh, Hophni and Phineas would intercept them and said, Hey, why don't you just give us the raw meat? We'll take it from here. This was entirely against the conventions of the law. Then Hophni and Phineas would take the meat and they would roast it and eat it for themselves. In effect, they were stealing from the Lord. And actually, the text goes one step further. Not only were Hophni and Phinehas stealing the offerings of the Lord, they were also having sex with the women uh, who sat at the entrance of the tent of meeting. It would be assumed that uh, the women did not have much choice in this matter. It was not consensual. Of course, there was no hashtag MeToo movement to give visibility, justice, a sense of solidarity to any of these women. They just had to suffer uh, at the hands of these two men of power. And then Hophni and Phineas, they got on and they made a YouTube video about how what they really needed was a fourth airplane jet, one that cost $50 million, because, you know, three just isn't enough to spread the word of God to the land of Israel. They really need that fourth one. And so we need you to bring more offerings to Shiloh, more offerings for those people who are looking for a word of the Lord, and don't worry, we'll take it from there. The more you give, the more you'll get. Trust me. Word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread because this was a time when you actually needed moral voices in Israelite society. This is a time when, again, the tribes were divided, and they were not uh, on the straight and narrow, so to speak. They were abusing the word of God. You know, certain rulers of the tribes who uh, would pardon people who were convicted of Uh, campaign finance reform, as if to send a message that violating campaign finance laws on behalf of certain causes is okay, and not and somehow above the law. Or pardon people who abused uh, immigrants in prison, um, because somehow immigrants are the other uh, and not welcome in society. But of other tribal rulers who, uh, after getting campaign contributions, kept supporting the privatization of prisons, even though privatization of prisons uh, leads to inevitably human rights abuses in those very same prisons for people who are incarcerated. The tribal rulers uh, who, when faced with uh, people who were seeking refuge, faced with children who came to the borders of Israel uh, because of bureaucracy and the rule of law, uh, ended up separating these children from their parents and 1,500 of them getting lost, many of whom ended up being trafficked for sex. Word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. But in spite of all that, in spite of all that, you still had people who came and searched out who yearned for the presence of God. Yes, there were those who saw the corruptions that were going on in Shiloh and said, hey, I'm done with organized religion. We don't need organized religion. Clearly, organized religion doesn't get it. Yes, there were those people. But there were also those who yearned for something more, who yearned for that presence of God. People who were suffering, people who were wondering where God was. People who were feeling a sense of inadequacy or brokenness deep down and yearned for a word that might give them help or hope. One such person comes up in our text. Woman Hannah. Hannah. Hannah, you know, appears in these first two chapters. She's a woman who uh, tries to have children with her husband and is unable to do that. Now, back in Israelite society, a woman's worth was judged by her ability to have children. If you were a woman, you didn't have children. You weren't worth much in ancient Israel. So Hannah prayed to the Lord. She prayed, what should I do? What's the path forward? Why am I in the situation that I'm in? And miraculously, uh, Hannah was able to conceive, and she bore a son, and she named him Samuel. And she sang a song. She sang a song that, that manifested her joy in finding the presence of God, finding the affirmation of God. She sings this great song, a song that becomes the model for the Magnificat later on in the Gospel of Luke. She sings a song where her soul exults in the Lord in spite of all the corruption that she, that she sees around her, she can still say that the Lord exists, that the Lord is the ruler of the earth. The Lord is the one who lifts up the lowly. The Lord is the one who makes people rich and makes people poor. A song that resonated with people who were feeling a situation like Hannah was in those days. But Hannah's song, of course, was a song that she sang to herself in some way to have her voice be amplified. Well, Hannah brought her son, Samuel, uh, dedicated him to the service of the Lord to the temple in Shiloh. And there, uh, Samuel was raised in the temple at Shiloh under the careful, watchful eye of Eli. Old as he was, he took Samuel under his wing. Now, that's the background the story as it begins in our reading today In 1 Samuel chapter 3. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. Samuel, as he was being raised in the temple, was blissfully unaware that there's a way of doing temple without the corruptions that he saw around him. The corruptions of Hophni and Phinehas were the only things he knew about Shiloh. As far as he was concerned, there was no other way. And Samuel had the benefit of being raised in an environment of love. Eli, uh, the text tells us that Eli, Eli tried to set his sons to get his sons to do the right thing, and his sons just didn't listen to him. His sons rejected him. But Eli focused his attention on this little boy. And this little boy felt the love of his parents who would come to visit him in the temple, and the love of Eli, and he grew in that. He grew in this blessed life, a life that he, where he enjoyed the work of every day, and he had that great, uh, that great faith that you can have when you're an early teenager where you can just give yourself totally over to God and not be too caught up in the nuances of things. You can live in that, that, blissful, uh, that blissful, almost naive stage of faith where you don't need to ask questions about the problem of evil or the providence of God. You can just hand it all over. Of course that way of living is a, is a narrow way a narrow vision so they see the nuances of stuff that's going on so Samuel was lying down next to the ark one night going to sleep here's a voice it says Samuel 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 gets up and dutifully goes over to Eli and says uh, here I am I said I didn't call you Go back to bed. So Eli goes, or so Samuel goes back to his straw mattress, back to his job, back to his daily routine, back to his family with life and kids, and he goes back to sleep. Ignores it. It's nothing. Then again, he hears that voice, that disturbing voice, saying Samuel, Samuel. And again, he gets up and goes over to Eli and says, "Here I am." And Eli says, "I didn't call you. It must be just hearing voices. It's just nothing. Go to bed." Samuel went back to bed. He ignored the voices. After all, he had a lot of things to do. He had all these to-do lists. He had emails to send and chores to do. Sleep again. There was, but there was this voice. And it came to him a third time saying, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel this time he goes to Eli and he says this voice comes to me again what here I am what are you what are you calling me for and Eli being someone who actually knows about these things being someone who's experienced much of life says hey there's something deeper going on here something more profound you need to open your ears when you go back it is the Lord who is calling you stand up and say to the Lord here I am your servant I'm listening to you and so and so Samuel goes back and again the voice comes back a fourth time the voice comes back a fourth time and says Samuel Samuel and this time Samuel gets up and the text tells us that not only did he get up this time he had a vision Samuel had a vision, and for the first time, he could actually hear the word of the Lord. He was able to see the corruption of things around him. He was able to see the world as it actually was in a way that he couldn't before. That day, that morning, with the birds chirping outside and the light just dawning over the the temple there in Shiloh, that morning, Samuel became a prophet. That morning that he received the word of the Lord. He was content to say that receiving the word of the Lord was not just about a prayer life or coming to church, but doing more. Now, yes, Samuel went back to his routines. Samuel went back to the work he had to do in the temple. He went back to work. He still spent time with his kids and his family. He still liked to watch Netflix. He still liked to cheer for the Rockets, even though they lost this year. They might come back again next year. (laughs) Samuel still did all those things, but he heard the word of the Lord. His ears were ready when he heard it again. Maybe, it was, maybe it's online when he's checking out the news and he sees something that strikes him deeply in ways it didn't before. Maybe it's he signed up for uh, an organization like Church World Service or United We Dream or the Poor People's Campaign or the Women's March or any number of other organizations and he gets their newsletters and he sees something and something in those newsletters stirs deep within him and he hears that call, he hears those words yet again. And this time he can't ignore it. Because this time he actually sees the people that are there behind the words. He sees them. He sees them as though they're actually people. He sees their suffering. So when he sees people coming to the temple of Jerusalem with their offerings, their offerings that are stolen by Hophni and Phinehas, when he sees that, he sees on their face the impact that that has as they turn around and think that God has rejected them. For the first time he goes out to the tent of meeting and he can see the pain on the faces of the women that are there. And Samuel refuses to be silent because he's heard that call from the word of the Lord. And Samuel sees for the first time the look on parents' faces when they have to send their kids off to a school, not knowing if their school is going to be shot up that day, and Samuel says, enough. Or he sees behind behind all those news headlines the actual faces of the children that are being separated from their parents on the borders and says, listen, these children are human beings too, and I'm going to name that as a truth. Samuel sees, Samuel sees this, he sees so many other things, he becomes changed. As the text tells us that after he makes his prophecy, after he hears his prophecy against Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that not another word from his mouth does the Lord let fall to the ground? Not of the word from his mouth, does he get, fall far? Does the Lord let fall to the ground? People hear it because he has become a prophet. Israel, that great country, that great land.